0: Okay, guys, we're going to jump right into James chapter three, verses one through twelve. There's a lot to cover in this, and I hope you'll I hope you'll run this course with me. It's very important stuff. I believe anything we read in God's word is, but uh, this one is very practical, very real for us every day. James chapter three, verses one through twelve. These are the words of God. they are still directed by a very small rudder, which, uh, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a very world, uh, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh? So I've titled the message today, "Watch your mouth," because it sounds like an awesome thing that your mom would say to you. So that was kind of the, the goal there. Watch your mouth. Um uh, I think in many cases, what we, do, uh, what we do when we think about taming the tongue, when we, when we think about this, is we, we kind of zero in, or maybe it's preacher's fault, uh, we zero in solely on the idea of gossip. And gossip is definitely in view in this uh, instruction that James is going to give. And we'll talk about it uh, briefly. But I think what is more important for us to understand is that literally everything the tongue produces, literally everything the tongue does has one of two results. It is life or it is death, okay? It is blessing or it is cursing. There is no real middle ground in this. There seems to be two options, and your, and your tongue is this rudder, or your tongue is this fire, or um, hopefully there's a bit in your mouth, this, the tongue should represent this bit that controls the rest of your body. James says something powerful when he says, the man who can control his tongue can control everything else. Why do we lack self-control in our world? I can tell you why. Because we have no idea how to control our mouths. So, the instruction today is watch your mouth, okay? Um, I, also think that we, I also think that we struggle with thinking that watching our mouth just means stop saying crude things or bad words or things like that. But the truth is, you can you can be good at not saying any of those words, but you can speak cursing into people's life. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually what the Bible is talking about when it, when it talks about cursing. Uh, it is our invention that cursing is a couple of words <laughs> that people don't say or that make a movie rated R. That, that's that's an invention of human nature. Is that careless speech? Sure, but it's not cursing the way we uh, understand it according to the Bible. So we need to be careful with what we're doing. We need to watch our mouths. We also need to tame our tongue. So that's the point of all of this. So there's kind of four sections to this message, and I hope you'll, you'll, you know, track with me through all of them. Each one of them builds on the next, and I, I believe the last one, of course, presents us with how to live our lives. So first, we need to understand uh, that what we say comes from somewhere. Not only do we have two options with our speech, life or death, but what we say comes from somewhere. And in our case, the Bible tells us it comes from the heart. So we're going to deal with that first. And then the second thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at the power of speech according to established wisdom literature. Uh, James is not saying anything new. Did you know that? James is not like, this is not a novel idea, him telling us the teachers are going to kind of be condemned or kind of be held to a higher judgment, both, I guess, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of people. This is not new, this is just very old. So, uh, what James does seems to be regurgitate uh, established wisdom literature. So we're going to look at that. We've got a lot of Proverbs to go through. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write those down. Third, we're going to look back at James 3 verse by verse. So I've read it to you, but we're going to get through the verses, each individual verse at the third point of this. And why we're going to do that is we're going to uh, apply points one and two to that. We're going to read James through the lens of everything that is in instruction here means that we must control our heart first, and then our mouth will follow. And we need to see that everything James is saying actually has in view uh, the Proverbs and different wisdom literature. So we're going to see that. And then finally, what we'll do is we'll explore some practical ways to to tame our tongue. And that's where it's going to start to bite the big one for us, <laughs> right? Because, because I'll give you a spoiler. Uh, one of them is shut up more often. That's, that's a pretty awesome way to control your tongue. Shut up more often. Uh, and listen, I'm taking that advice myself. So number one, uh, what we say comes from somewhere, and in our case, it comes from the heart. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this. He says, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Uh, The King James is famously quoted, right? Out of the heart the mouth speaketh. Right, That's what most people are used to hearing, right? But it is, it is so important to understand that what we're, gonna say, what we're going to say, all of our speech is actually going to come from whatever fills our heart. Now, there's also another thing that is worth uh, observing here, and that is that Jesus, uh, who says no one is good but the Father... Also says right here that, well, a good man uh, utters things from the treasure of his heart and a bad man from the evil that's in his heart. So what gives? Jesus is God the only one who is good or what's actually happening? Well, the Bible has taught us the same truth all throughout it. Those who trust in God are credited, faith, are credited with righteousness. This is good. This is right standing in God's eyes. And so those in the Old Testament that were trusting in God were seen by God as being faithful, as being good in his view. This is a this is a strange idea for the Scripture for us to jump in and say, well, make sure you're careful on calling people good because nobody's good. We get it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the same Jesus who says no one is good but the Father also says, a good man speaks from the good that's stored up in his heart, and a bad man from the evil treasure that is within. So just kind of take that into consideration when you're studying the rest of God's word. So Jesus says, from your mouth speaks, uh, your mouth speaks that which comes from your heart. In Matthew 12, 33 through 37, he gives this same exact instruction, but I think it becomes a little bit clearer. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now, what what do we often uh, say to each other when it comes to Christian works? We say that people will know us by our fruit, Right, so in some sense, we have been grafted into this tree or this vine, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and we are intended to produce fruit in our life. Each and every one of us is supposed to be producing fruit. And we produce fruit because of what? The good tree we're attached to. So this reinforces my point from just a second ago, which is there are people that Jesus refers to as good, but who are they? Those abiding in the vine, those trusting in him, okay? So that's the way this works. And so if the tree is good, the fruit will be good. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then Jesus talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty those pretty bold words isn't it right? and who is Jesus talking to he's talking to his elect people <laughs> these are these are the uh the chosen Jewish people for the purpose of going into the world and and telling the world of God's great uh, economy and great law and great ways but they hadn't done their job and so because they hadn't done their job they just kind of instituted man-made religion and made a mess of everything so Jesus looks at him and he says you brood of vipers Um, uh, What's your problem? How can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. Whatever is filling it that is good is going to come out. And the evil man brings out his evil treasure, Uh, out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it, In the day of judgment. Now it's really important that line is going to come back when we get to James chapter 3 verse 1. Okay, I want you to see right here that absolutely everybody in this room, everybody on this planet is going to be held to account for the careless words they speak. I'm going to take a drink and let that settle in. It does not say that every person is going to be held to account because they dropped the F-bomb. It does not say everybody's going, though that's a careless word, I suppose. I think you are going to be held to account for every careless word you speak. That seems to cover a whole lot more than the things that we call curse words, doesn't it? This, is, this becomes uh, breathtaking a bit. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. What is happening here? Okay, so there's something about our speech that needs to have care attached to it. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Do you notice that Jesus confirms something that James taught us in the last chapter? Man is not justified, man is not saved, man is not any of these things by faith alone. Look it up, it's right there as plain as day in the text. What is man justified by? Well, Jesus seems to tell us that our words are a a part of that justification. Why? Why is that justification a part of our words? Because it is telling of what you believe in. It It is telling of what is filling your heart. How many of you know that salvation is for those who confess the name of Jesus? You confess the name of Jesus. You know how you do that? By talking you speak. Francis of Assisi, everybody quotes this, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Well, you have to, right? The Bible is is filled with instruction of speak up, use your words, and then Jesus and James, his brother, hit us hard by saying your very words are going to justify you or they're going to condemn you. So be careful with what you're doing, okay? So let's move from there to the Proverbs. Watch over your your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. So again, these three verses have communicated the same thing. The, The things that come out of our mouth come from where? The heart. So what should we... Start with the heart. The heart has to be the starting point. Now, fortunate for us as Christians, we are people who've been born again. We've been made new. And guess what that means? That stony heart that you used to have is now what? It's now new. It's a heart of flesh that God is using to work out His plan inside of the world. Does it mean that because you are a born-again Christian because your heart has been made new, that bad things now can't come out of your mouth. No. Nope. And I think Facebook proves it. I think social media proves it. I think our arguments at home prove it. I think our gossip and our slander and our bickering and our backfighting, backbiting and our infighting all prove it. Okay? Here's what some in the church will do. Well, you're not showing fruit. You must not be a real Christian. Give me a break. How many Christians in this room still make mistakes? (laughs) You're all not real Christians. (laughs) See how stupid and absurd this idea is? No. What happens is we make mistakes. Sanctification is a process. We're working through this. But the challenge will always be, what do you fill your heart with? Is it good things or is it bad things? So we're Christians, we've been given a new heart. The way I look at that is that we've been given a better vessel... That vessel now can hold those good things, and it can hold them well, and then we can speak from that place. I don't think it's a coincidence that the writer of Proverbs says in verse 24, right after saying, watch after your heart, or watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, that he also says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put your devious speech far from you. These are interconnected. You guard your heart because out of your heart comes what you say. Amen? This is just what happens. So the first piece that we have to keep in our mind is everything we're going to say comes from here somehow. And we have a task, and we'll get to this at the end. We have to fill this with good things. But I'm going to drop something on you here in a second that has been fascinating to me this week in my own personal Personal study, because what we do with other people, how we speak uh, life and good and blessing to people, is actually intimately tied with us being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'll show it to you in just a second. So, second thing, the power of speech according to established wisdom literature. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, that's the first one. All of these will be on the screen, but I'd love for you to write them down for your own references. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commands but a babbling fool will be ruined. Now, do you know why I added that in there? Obviously, it has to do with our speech. But understand this, understand this. Not only does your your tongue set the world on fire, not only does your tongue control the rest of your body, your tongue actually gets in the way of your ears working. (laughs) It was amazing. And I see husbands and wives looking at each other like, yeah, that's true, okay? So your tongue gets in the way of your ears working. Look at what this proverb is actually doing. It's not a contrast from one section to the next. It's a full picture. The wise of heart will receive commands. This is really important. They will learn. The problem with the babbling fool is that he doesn't listen. He'll be ruined. Why will he be ruined? Because he can't hear the wise words. (laughs) I think it was not Andy Rooney. Who is the guy who just passed away? Um, Anyway, he did interviews with people. Uh, Larry King. Larry King says, uh, says, I never learned anything while talking. I never learned anything while talking. That's an amazing piece of wisdom right there. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what you think about the guy, I don't really care, but it is true, you don't le- really learn much when you're talking all the time. And so, the babbling fool is not actually going to hear wisdom, and the consequence of that is being ruined, okay? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, and all of these tie together because we see the theme in, these, uh, in this uh, chapter 10. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the, mount- but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Do you notice actually what's happening there? Again, this is, this is a strange kind of comparison. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It's going to speak blessing, It's going to speak life, but not life in the generic modern Christian way. It's not just compliments to everybody. It's not just some weird, obscure word from the Lord, right? It's something far deeper. It is something about genuine life, and that comes from the word of God. But the mouth of the wicked actually conceals violence. They will, they will talk too much, they'll gossip, they'll cover up all of their tracks. That's what's going to happen with the wicked. They're just going to talk their way out of certain things. This is a problem. So notice, our mouth matters in what we're doing. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Again, not a contrast A fuller picture. What is it saying here? The lips of the righteous feed many. With your mouth, you have the opportunity to feed many. What are you feeding them with? Man doesn't live on bread alone but by the very words that proceed from the mouth of God, and we can share those words in so much as that we're actually preaching what God says, right? And so the lips of the righteous feed many, but here's this weird uh, fuller picture. But fools die for lack of understanding. You see, the fool won't hear that food or won't consume that food no matter what. So this is just a point that is being made here. But what I want you to see is that if your heart is filled with good things and your mouth is speaking life, you are actually providing food for the world that is in need. Is this cool or what? This is why you need to know God's word. This is why you should study the Bible more because you can't actually speak genuine life. How many of you know that the world can encourage the other people in this world exactly the same way that you can when they give compliments and when they just try to push you forward to your goals and your ideas in life. How many of you know that? You don't need Jesus to tell somebody, listen, you're an amazing person. I think you're sweet. I think you can do a lot with life. I think you should stick to your dreams. I think you should push forward in your goals and your plans. You don't need Jesus. And if that's all you ever speak, you're not speaking life. You're speaking worldly gibberish, okay? You're not actually feeding anybody. Just send them to a motivational speaker. They'll do a better job than any of us, I I assure you, okay? But if we're going to speak life, we're speaking something else. We're speaking words that absolutely and fundamentally change the human heart. Okay? Make sure you attach these things together. So Proverbs 10:21 actually ties back into 10:8. The wise of heart will receive a command. Yeah, they're fed, right? But what what's the problem with the babbling fool? He's ruined cuz he's not hearing. He's the fool who lacks understanding. So the, proverb, the, the writer is connecting all of these crazy dots. Okay, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. Look at what this says. Proverbs eleven nine. 9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. Yippee. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Again, not a contrast, a fuller picture. Understand what's being said here. With the mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. What are we supposed to do with our neighbor? love our neighbor that's awesome okay but here's the deal even though the godless man is destroying his neighbor through knowledge the righteous will be delivered here's your promise they will destroy you the world will the godless will destroy you but you should rest in this knowledge will prevail knowledge will prevail it might not prevail this side of heaven darn (laughs) right but knowledge will prevail amen So this is what you need to understand. We don't want to be the wicked man. We don't want to be the person destroying our neighbor because in the end, the truth will come out. What we want to be is a people who love our neighbor and see life and feed them and do the right things, okay? Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, there's a contrast for you. The fool or the one who speaks rashly or Uh, quickly or without thinking right Uh, is like the thrust of a sword it's just it's a gut punch instant kill whatever is happening this is really hard however the tongue of the wise brings healing do you know do you know how uh, short of a period of time it takes to just thrust a sword through somebody I'm not speaking from experience here right Um, I if anybody wants to be my uh, uh, my guinea pig I'll try it but it, it seems like it's a pretty quick thing right Do you know how long it takes sometimes to heal? Sometimes it takes a very long time. Please understand the speech you choose to use and the strategy that you employ with your tongue might not be liked by people because it's slow. I've encountered this a lot in my life. Uh, My motto is not just the slow and steady wins the race, but I'm playing the long game in life. I want to play the long game in life. You know what that does to people who are as impatient as I am on the other side? (laughs) It frustrates them, right? Uh, But I have to be slow because healing takes time, okay? I I used to take pride in this idea of uh, ripping the rug out from under people. (laughs) Because when I see a foolish belief in somebody, and I'm not saying that I don't have them, but I'm saying when I see a foolish belief, it's, it used to be fun for me to just watch somebody uh, just yank that rug out from under them and laugh, right? It's just a fun thing because you're like, you see how stupid it is now, right? There's just some weird, crazy pleasure. That's because I was an idiot that I enjoyed that. What I've realized is that healing comes a different way. If they're standing on a messed up rug, a bad rug, the best thing that you can do is say, first of all, let me show you that the rug's bad. Okay? Next step, I want you to step off the rug. Third step, I'm gonna roll that old thing up and throw it away. And then I'm going to put a new rug down, a new foundation, a new belief, a new truth for you to understand, and hopefully it's a more sure foundation for you. See, this is what healing looks like, right? It's healing words. All this comes from your heart, and it's all what we're supposed to be speaking. Proverbs chapter 12, 25, and this is so big. I I really want everybody's attention. If you listen to nothing else I say, I think... I think most people in this room struggle at times with anxiety. But listen to what this says. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But say this with me, church. But a good word makes it glad. Now, how many of you have ever been in church and you've heard somebody say, that's a good word right there? How many of you have heard that? That statement cracks me up. Anyway, Okay, so that's a good word right there. Here's the issue. Nobody knows what a good word is. It just seems subjective, right? Is a good word, hey, you're pretty awesome. Is a good word the Bible says? Is a good word some sort of prophetic utterance for somebody? Is that what a good word is? Sadly, it will always remain subjective unless you dig in to the word of God and actually understand what's said. Okay, so I'm going to tell you something now. I'm going to show you something now that's actually a cure for anxiety. Have I got your attention now? It's a cure for anxiety. Listen to it. Anxiety is a man's heart, in a man's heart, weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. Isaiah tells us what a good word is. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. The tongue of disciples? Yeah, watch. The learners of God, those who know his truth, those who are supposed to learn from him and take that word and do what with it? Share it with the rest of the world. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. You want a cure for anxiety? The cure for anxiety is the word of a disciple, the truth of God's word spoken to people. You know how you're going to be a person who knows the word of a disciple? Study. Study. Stop winging the good word in today's world. Because here's what happens, and I've seen it in the church all my life anxiety somebody comes in gives a compliment that anxiety goes down for about three hours they leave church and their anxiety is right back up but the word of the Lord will change anxiety it really will change anxiety because what is the word of the Lord it's truth church it's truth and what are we anxious about the unknown most of the time so the anxious word is actually going to be taken away by a good word. So Isaiah says, The Lord gave has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. You need to be listening to the Lord of glory so that you can speak the good word. It's not subjective anymore, church. It's not subjective anymore. You need to be hearing what God is saying. It needs to be rooted in his word, and then you need to speak that into people's lives. Well, guess what? This is all in line with what we've learned so far. The heart, whatever it's filled with, is what the mouth speaks. The mouth is going to speak one of two things, life or death. We're called to life. Those words are good words, and those good words are the words of a disciple. Morning by morning, you should be listening to the Lord. Morning by morning, you should be listening to the Lord. Last piece, or last couple of Proverbs to, uh, to hold this together. The ancient literature or wisdom literature that speaks about the tongue. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Enough said, <laughs> Right? Proverbs 16.27, a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like what James says with the tongue being a fire. Proverbs 18.7, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. Now notice we've connected something else now here, right? Your, your talk, your fool's mouth, is going to be your ruin, but your lips are also going to be a snare to life itself, the soul. Okay? Very important ideas. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What do we choose, church? Life, right? What often comes out of our faces. Death, sadly, right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The question here in interpretation would be, what's the antecedent of it? Is it death and life? That is, those who choose it, death, will eat its fruit, or life will eat its fruit? Maybe. You might be able to read it that way. It seems that the antecedent is simply the tongue, and therefore, you will eat, again, it proves the same point, you will eat the fruit of whatever it is that you're producing, right? So death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, the tongue, will eat its fruit, whatever you choose, life or death. If you choose life, you'll eat its fruit. If you choose death, you will also eat that fruit. And then this one, this is where gossip comes into play. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. (laughs) And they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Let's just just beat up gossip for a second. I was always taught that gossip is defined this way. Gossip is when somebody is sharing with you something, uh, news with you, where you are neither part of the problem nor the solution. If you're not a part of the problem or the solution, you know what you should do? The hardest thing that you'll probably ever do in your life. Tell the person, I actually don't want to talk about this. This is not my business. But you know what happens when people start talking gossip? Dainty morsels. Why are there dainty morsels in gossip? Because sadly, we're hungry for foolishness. We're hungry for that which is going to give us a leg up. One of the things about gossip that you need to understand is that your entertainment of gossip and your promoting of gossip is all rooted in the fact that you're proud. What you want is either to be higher than another person or you want to understand something so that you can get in. It's all pride. What you and I need to do is in that situation, choose life. Do you know how hard that is? It's hard. It's hard. Have you ever told somebody, listen, uh, we can't talk about this. This is gossip, and you need to go to the person and solve your problem. Very few people do it. Very few few people do it. Why? Because we're so conflict adverse in our culture. Just look somebody in the eye and say, you know what? This is not my problem. (laughs) I'm not a part of it. Because guess what else the Bible says about gossip? It says that a gossip will separate close friends. How many of you know that to be true? How many of you have had people that you thought would never leave you in your life, but some lie was told and spread, and all of a sudden, thank you, bud. He's already dealing with gossip. What's happening in your house, guys? Anyway, so, so, but here's the point. I've lost close friends because lies were spoken. Wow. This is not good, church. This is not good. And you have the power to change that. By not entertaining it. Entertaining it. It's a bad situation. You're joining the rank of all the foolish things that I mentioned before. Okay, so third, James 3, verse by verse, so that we can point out these two ideas in mind, where our heart plays a part and where all this wisdom literature plays a part. We're going to go through this pretty quickly, okay, so that we can get through it. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, or in some translations, a greater condemnation. Okay, so one thing that we need to understand, what I brought to you from Matthew's gospel, is that everybody is going to be held to account for the careless words they speak. This is not just teachers. So what is James actually going to? One, he would tell you, if you have a gifting of teaching, that you should aspire to that gifting. That's fine. God has given it to you. But he is also saying, you shouldn't be so eager And you shouldn't be so eager for two different reasons. And this is one of the great debates among scholars on this particular passage, okay? And the great debate is this, that the incurred judgment is either God having a stricter judgment obscurely for a special class of people, that seems weird, okay? Like God is going, actually, my grace has ranks to it, okay? So scholars go, I'm not sure that that's the answer to this. And then the other side, which is very few and far between, look at it and say, anybody who's been a teacher knows that if you talk for a living, everybody's scrutinizing every daggone thing you say. Amen. Amen. Amen." The stricter judgment could be from God, but the stricter judgment could be and often is from people. Now here's why this is important because the very next line seems to help this idea that that judgment can come from just people and that they can hold you to a ridiculously high standard. Not that you shouldn't speak well, you should, but look what he says in verse two. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. So hold on a second. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that you'll be in, you'll incur a stricter judgment, but you're all going to make mistakes anyway. So are we going to be judged harsher, or do we have grace for our mistakes? What's actually happening here? So he goes on, he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Raise your hands if you're a perfect man or woman. Right? Yeah, Steph, not even close. Anyway, so, okay, so... St- This is unbelievable. None of us are perfect. So is James actually saying, well, none of you are perfect. Every one of you stumbles. But by the way, you teachers, you're going to be condemned worse. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Well, maybe it does because of the influence you have. And that's, again, what some scholars would believe. But listen to it. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. What your tongue does, or how you control your tongue, will show how you control everything else. And what your tongue does shows what your heart is filled with. So you see the chain reaction going on here. Verse 3. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. See, there's not a bit for your tongue. The tongue is the bit for the body. Do you see it? The tongue must be controlled by something, though. The tongue needs to be controlled by a rider on this horse. Okay? We're going to get to it when we get to the practical application here. This has to be the Spirit of God. It has to be the Spirit of God. If it is not the Spirit of God, we as Christians still tear each other apart, don't we? Left and right. And we often do it in the most covert ways. We go, eh, you know, he's a good guy. He means well. I just disagree with him completely, right? All that we do there is bring somebody's character and ideas completely crashing down in another person's eyes. We've got to be careful with how we've done this. We've gotten crafty with how we slander each other, church. And we need to be really, really careful. Verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, there's all kinds of forces pushing, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot goes. The question is, who's the on pilot here, right? So with your tongue. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Did you notice that one of the things that James is referring to is actually arrogance here? Why you need to control your tongue is because we boast a lot of things. My daughter, Sam, likes to exaggerate right now, and we're working on this, right? She, she, gets, it, she gets it naturally. She, she got it from my dad. No. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> it, when we were kids, the fish was this big all the time. And all we ever caught, all we ever caught, guys, was pop cans, okay? So it didn't matter. That's because my brother was fishing with us. But anyway, so, but it, it's this exaggeration thing. I, I've told her time and time again, you got to bring this in. You cannot be exaggerating. Why? people don't even know what you're telling them. They don't know if it's the truth. They don't know what it is. We struggle with this, and it comes down to this boasting idea, this kind of boasting of great things. Let's just speak truth, church. Speak truth. When somebody says, hey, how many people come to your church? You can look around and say, I don't know, 100 people, 120 people, pastors. Well... If I count them and their kids and then their grandkids, and then if I count everybody who's ever attended our church over a period of time, even though they've gone, 900 people come to our church. (laughs) That's stupid. But that's what we do because we got ego and we want to promote things. This is not good, right? So we need to make sure we control this boasting piece. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. How many have been burned by the tongue? Come on, guys. Burned by the tongue, yes, a lot. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and it's set on fire by hell. Wow, that's just rude. Okay, verse 7. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, does this sound encouraging or what? Basically, what we've come away with with James, if we're going to read this literally and we're not going to take into account the whole of scripture or even James's full communication, what we're going to come away with is nobody can win here. Isn't that Right? We, we can read this. If we stop now, what we're going to come away with is, we're all screwed, <laughs> right? We're stuck. Our tongues are just bad business. But wait a second. What does the mouth speak? That which the heart is filled with? When you're redeemed, are you not filled with the Spirit of God? Do you not put in what is good? Can bad things come from that? Sure, but what is the thing that comes from a good tree? Good fruit. Put those together, and James cannot be saying this is a hopeless problem. He cannot be saying that. And his own words, just in a second, will prove it. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, that's this tongue that is filled with deadly poison, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. You want to know why it's so important? Why we should not bless God but curse men? Because by cursing his image bearers, we're cursing him anyway. What your problem is, what my problem is, is that I say a good thing to God's face and then behind his back to his people, I'm shooting them down. You're still cursing God. That's the problem. This is why, and it doesn't matter whether they're a sinner or a saint, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian or a heathen, Jerry Clust, it doesn't, no, he's a, he's a redeemed heathen, it doesn't matter what they are, did you know we're never called to speak curses? That's not our game, church. Our game is life. You leave the other things to God, okay? You leave this to God. For every species of beast and birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison, hopeless. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, hopeless. Verse 10, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, hope. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Why instruct them that they need to change it if it's hopeless? Because it's not hopeless, (laughs) right? We just need to guard our hearts, and that will guard our tongue, and then we need to say what is life-giving. Verse 11, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? What's the answer, church? No, because the second bitterness is introduced into the water, how much of the water goes bitter? All of it, right? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? kind of a quirky fig tree. No, it can't. Or a vine produce figs. No. And I don't know what fig wine would taste like. That'd be awesome. Anyway, nor can salt water produce fresh water. Cuz once you introduce salt, what happens? You've got a saltiness to the water. It might settle, don't get all scientific on me, but the reality is it becomes a problem, right? This is what happens to us when we're a people of blessing and cursing. We're actually just a bitter well. But are we supposed to be a bitter well? No. What is supposed to come from us? Rivers of living water. Yeah. Too bad that's not always the case. So what we've learned so far is that the heart... Is, is where all this starts. God has redeemed the heart. What the heart is filled with, the mouth is gonna speak. Even though our hearts have been redeemed, we can still choose to speak death, but we need to choose life. We need to choose the good word. The good word is the word of a disciple. That comes from daily, represent, daily prayer, daily uh, abiding in the Father, and listening to his word. And that truth can do way more than just cure anxiety. It can absolutely change the disposition of people. In our life. It will speak life into the world and they might actually accept Jesus. Okay? So now, how do we get there? How do we get there? Because we need some practical steps. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. These three verses, these three uh, sections of scripture are going to help you. They'll be on the screen. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Step number one. Abandon the coral. Does it say the coral doesn't exist? No. Will the coral irritate you to death? Yes. Should you still abandon it? No. <laughs> yes. You abandon it, Mark. Okay? You abandon it. You run for the hills. Step one in this is run the other direction. Step one, when those morsels, those gossipy morsels come, is to say, sorry, I can't do this. I have to go the other way. The second, your wife or your husband is arguing with you, stop it and say, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. Let's walk this back. When a brother or sister in Christ is arguing with you, please hear me. because it's not something I'm always good at. But boy, oh boy, I've worked really hard over the past few years to get good at. Stay calm. Stay calm and then take with you accountability so you can prove it. (laughs) But stay calm in what you deal with. Stay calm. Don't take the bait. The quarrel is going to break out. Abandon it. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Step one, make sure you watch your heart. Why? Because that's the thing that's going to fuel what you say. For from it flow the springs of life. But look at the next instruction. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Okay? Run from the quarrel and shut up. Run from the quarrel and stop being a deceiver. This is really, really big, church. Hard things to put into practice. Simple things to understand. And put devious speech far from you. And please do this when you're talking about your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you don't, if you don't, the Bible tells who you are. It says that you are playing the part of the fool. You're the evil one. This is dangerous. Jesus would correct you. He might not condemn you immediately, but he would correct you and say, you brood of, viper. you brood of vipers, you hypocrite, knock it off. That's really, really important for us to understand. Last one, Galatians 5, and 26. I, be, I love this because it's very, very practical for us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, say it with me, church, self-control. So hold on a second. So the Spirit's guiding me, but it's called self-control? Yeah, it is. It is, because the power of the Spirit inside of you enables you to control this mess of a creature you are, <laughs> right? The Spirit is the one who is able to guide the bridle that is your tongue that then enables you to lead your body any way it wants to go, okay? You have to give in to who the Spirit is and what He's doing because He's going to guide you right. It is the gift of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, and yet it is called self-control because His fruit is that you won't be a lunatic. You won't be roaming free. Against such thing there is no law, but listen to the practical steps here. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Here's your first step. You want to control your tongue? Crucify your flesh. Stop being so proud. Stop thinking you're right about everything. And stop being smug about your rightness. <laughs> I love this one, right? I'm right. I'm not arrogant. But I'm going to roll my eyes when you say something I disagree with. You, you got the same problem as everybody else. You are just really sophisticated with your mask. This is just absurd, right? So when you're right about something, when you're dealing with something, crucify the flesh. Get that pride out of the way with its passions and its desires. And then step number two, live by the Spirit. Well, that's not, a, that's not a subjective thing either. Live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit, not becoming boastful, not challenging one another, not envying one another. There's your practical steps. Stop boasting. Stop challenging one another. Stop envying one another. Everything's not a daggone fight. Amen? Amen. We're supposed to be a people of peace. Now, can we live at peace in all situations? No, No, but only because we're people. Mm -hmm. Not because we haven't been given a spirit, not because we can't have power, not because we can't do the right thing. It's because we don't submit. So here's what I want you to see from what James is saying, just as this kind of universal, this overarching takeaway. We have got to get this fiery, poisonous mess in our mouth under control. We've got to get it under control. We need to get that under control whether we're talking to sinner or saint. Amen? In order to get that under control, we have to start with what? The heart, right? Right? We have to fill that heart with good things. We can still make mistakes, repent. But we need to fill that heart with good things. And then, when we fill that heart with good things, we need to take into the world a life-giving message, a truth that goes to all people that is a good word. Whether the person has anxiety or not, a good word that we're speaking to them. The good word is informed by God's word because it's the good word of a disciple. Those who follow Jesus, if you will speak his word, it is a good word. Guarantee it. Take it to the bank. Okay? You speak his word, and then what you do is you live in peace with people as far as it depends on you. You live at peace with them. You love them. You care for them. You be gentle with them to the best of your ability. Now, I say all of that and say, this is a lifetime journey. Anybody who knows me knows even though I'm not always trying to be an aggressive person, I like to debate and argue with people. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling that happens inside of me. I'm not necessarily a fan of confrontation, but I sure like confrontation to get it settled rather than ignoring it and letting it fester and turning into some sort of cancer? Poor Sarah. Poor Sarah. You can leave now. Anyway, um, as a person who likes that, there, there is a place for that in, in, the, uh, in the Christian world. Not a malicious place for it. There's no place for that. There is a place for reasoning together with people and debating with people and challenging people and confronting those kinds of things. There is a place when the Lord of glory calls people out and says, you brood of vipers. And we're all like, you should be more like Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) You, You clearly don't know who Jesus is, do you, right? Or Paul who says, you foolish Galatians. You should be more like Jesus, Paul. No, 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 no. There's a place for these correctives, these things in so much as that the heart is in the right place. And so for many years, what God has been doing in my heart has been, well, beating the snot out of it, (laughs) right? He got out the cosmic meat tenderizer (laughs) about five years ago, and he's beat me with it ever since. And it's a good thing. It's really a good thing. I didn't see it then. I don't always see it now. But all discipline is not welcome in the moment. But once it produces something, you see it, you're like, wow, okay? I want to share this message and I want to share that truth with you so that you don't walk out of here and go, I know Nathan. I'm going to discount everything he just said because he argues with people. Guess what else I am? A sinner. Guess what else I am? A human being. I don't do a lot of things right, to be honest with you. doesn't mean that that truth is not there. What I hope you'll do, what I hope we'll all do, is I hope we'll get better at how we communicate with each other. I hope that we'll be more patient with each other before we pack our bags and break fellowship. I hope that we'll love each other enough to iron out things that maybe other people have never been able to iron out. Let's just give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Let's love each other. Let's fight for that, which is good. Amen? And please, hear me with this last one. If you have gossip happening in your life, shut it down. Shut it down. It's easy when you're listening to gossip about somebody else, but I'm telling you from firsthand experience, when that gossip separates you from a close friend, it is a bitter pill to swallow. So it's all fun and games when you're on the good side of it. When it's a tasty morsel, right? Shut it down. Shut it down. Because there is no good in this food on the other side. Okay? Our hearts are what fuel what our tongues say. Our tongues are the bridle that control our body. We're out of whack. It's because this is out of whack. And if this is out of whack, it's because this is out of whack. Let's get it right. Amen? Amen?